Hi, I'm Dr. Franchelle Hamilton, and I'm super excited to talk with our guest today, Dr. Phil Wagner, who's founder and CEO of Movement Health. And I'm super excited to kind of dig into deep what do they do, why did he get into it, and all the questions. So thank you so much um, for being on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great. So I know we were talking briefly, but I kind of want to get more into it. Like, I know you were originally going to go into orthopedic surgery, and I'm also a surgery um, surgeon, but on the weight loss end. So I get how you want to be more proactive and on the preventative side, and all you feel like doing is kind of treating and fixing on the other side. But what is kind of, tell me why you decide to kind of start this company and what, what motivated you and what, your, what, what started all this for you? Yeah, when I was getting into my residency, you know, I had an orthopedic mentor at the time who said, you know, if you're you're so passionate about driving some of this change and innovation, it's going to be a lot easier from the outside than within the system, you know. And so that really kind of got me thinking of, you know, starting starting a company that could really impact health, um, you know, because a lot of times startups aren't aren't really kind of a hobby you can do on the side. Right. And so really took that leap to go all in with this idea that so many of the injuries that at least I was seeing at the time in orthopedics, you know, were really just chronic injuries that got to the point that required surgery. And really, if there was an earlier awareness and intervention, some of those areas could be avoided and consequences. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's interesting that you had essentially an attending telling this, you know what I'm saying? Someone who like worked in it, lived in it and having, I I almost wish I I had somebody like that who kind of, you know what I'm saying, was able to realize that that's very innovative of him because most of us as physicians, we, we just work in it. Right. And we're not really thinking, man, like it's much easier to work outside of it than in it. That's like genius. And so that's what you did. You saw the need and then you decided to do this. So tell us a little bit about your company. Like what does it do and how can it help people? Yeah, I think, you know, the, it's based on this premise of movement health, which, you know, we kind of define as, you know, the ability to move without pain or fear uh, because so much of movement dysfunction happens because, you know, we're in pain somewhere and we move a certain way that's unnatural and put stress in other areas, or, you know, certainly as we get older, you know, we get fearful of moving and falling, right? And and even with athletes, there's this strong scientific concept called kinesiophobia. And then if an athlete tears their ACL, you know, they're fearful to move um, because they don't want to tear it again. Um, So this concept of movement health became really passionate about. And then that leads to the question, well, how do you measure movement, right? And there's not really a vital sign for that. Um, So, you know, developing, you know, a software platform that allowed us to use a device to quickly measure how someone moves, but relate that to other metrics, whether that's wearables or injury history and help organizations identify every individual's movement health and then what they can be doing individually to improve that health. So essentially, with this software, so I don't know, it 
give give us like more of a concept on how it works for I'm like a visual person. So how does if I come so background, we can use me. So I played basketball in college, tore my ACL. It was an orthopedic surgeon, actually, that told me I should become a surgeon. And so that's kind of my background, how I got into medicine. And so um, anyways, and you're right, very feelful. I never ended up going back to basketball, even though I was young enough, I probably could have. I switched over to track because I was so scared of jumping. That's what I did. I went up for a lift, came up wrong. And you know what I'm saying? So, so I come in, how do you test with the software, my movement? That's my first question. And then my follow-up is I'm really curious on how you guys deal with the phobia of this, but we'll get into that in a minute. So. Yeah, so I think the first piece is we do a, a balance test and someone will balance, you know, for about 10 seconds on each leg. Okay. So that'll generate about a million data points on this oh. device. Wow. Um, and from that, it allows machine learning will then take all that data and compare other patterns from other people saying, okay, these individuals in your case you know, when you did tear your ACL, hey, we've got other 20-year-old females that played basketball. They tore their ACL. Here's how they moved. Okay. You know, and is able to relate that to a risk, but also associate it with certain types of activities that put you more at risk or actually reduce that risk. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, it's really kind of leveraging crowdsourcing, if you will, movement patterns from hundreds of thousands of people. Um, yeah. to come up with a more objective screen and subsequent plan. Okay, that makes and a lot of sense. And I think to the fear question, right, you know, so much of fear is we actually don't know if we're, we're, we're fully back, right, if we're fully rehabbed. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, certainly pain's a great marker, but if you don't have pain, your mind's still saying, hey, I don't want to tear my ACL again, right? So that's where data can be helpful is it can show you, okay, here's where you're at pre-ACL or at the beginning of the rehab, here's where you're at now. That can really start to build confidence of like, you know what, I can see and feel now that I'm better. And so that can reduce some of that kinesiophobia that exists. Okay. So that's the way you guys do it. Just by having essentially like data points that people yeah. can track and follow and uh, mostly objective things like, Hey, look, this is where you were. And this is where you. Yeah. And, and diabetes is a great model for that. Right. You know, we've done a great job as a country kind of reducing. Now we're starting to see diabetes diagnosis drop yeah. um, for the first time. And a lot of that is around awareness with blood glucose, right. Monitoring has gotten yeah. easier. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so how can we do that with movement, right. A very clear marker that you can easily benchmark. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so essentially, how are you guys integrating this into for other doctors, facilities, et cetera, et cetera? How are you guys like kind of connecting the dots between the two? Yeah. I mean, workflow is key, right? Um, in these clinical environments, I think, you know, the easiest picture is let's replace the weight scale because the device we have, it captures body weight. Um, but it also captures a million other data points at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if we can replace body weight with something that captures body weight and function, you know, it's very easy to conduct, but also reshapes the conversation, you know, based on your experience too, with, you know, weight loss and surgical interventions, 
how do we change the discussion from form to function, right? Because, you know, the, the function is really the key driver, right? And, yeah. you know, a lot of weight loss strategies, you know, ideally in interventions are allowing people to function at a higher level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I know one of the things that we talked about was instead of just treating preventing. So I gave you like a scenario where I had already injured. Right. And so how do you guys incorporate more of the prevention or like that type of education on the front end to make people a little bit more functional or deal with chronic, you know, these chronic functional problems? Yeah, I think the the first piece is, you know, kind of what we talked about is truly like kind of classifying up front what is a risk or not, um, and then associating other exposures, if you will, with how that risk and classification changes, right? So, you know, that can be anything from how much, how long you're practicing, how much you're running, or even how much you're sleeping, right? I mean, there's a study that shows like, Adolescents that sleep less than eight hours have a 50% injury risk increase, right? So when we start talking about interventions, there's certainly exercises that can be impactful, but there's also habits like sleeping that can increase or decrease that risk of injury. Okay, so then you, we're a family full of athletes. And so essentially you're telling me if I bring my son who plays baseball and basketball to or get on these scales, like he can get on there, obviously it'll get his weight, but it can kind of tell me preventative measures to help prevent him get an injury in the future. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's very much like pharmacology, right. In that giving the same exercises or the same practice levels to the same people or to different people, it's going to affect them differently. Right. Just yeah. like if you give you and me the same medication, our body's going to respond differently. Yeah. Sleep and exercise are the same way when it comes to movement. So how do we start dialing in at an individual level, right? That precision medicine, you yeah. know, but, but look at it from the lens of movement, right? So, you know, when we talk about ACLs, what's interesting is with females, you know, 30 years ago, they said, well, it happens because females have wider hips, right? This, this Q angle, right? That's why they have ACLs. Then 10 years after that, they said, no, it's actually because they have weak hamstrings. And then yeah. 10 years after that, I said, actually, it's because their trunks are weak because they can't be as upright as males. And the reality is the answer is D, all of the above, right? Oh, Some right. females may tear it because of wider hips. Yeah. Some may tear it because of trunks. Some may yeah. So how do we use data to identify, okay, for you, here's why you're at risk. And these are the interventions that can be helpful to reduce it. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. So that's very interesting. So do you, then you guys get a lot of people, is it predominantly athletes or do you also have people that are say in different phases of life that just want like older people who, you know what I'm saying? Still want to stay active, but don't want an injury. How about that? Yeah. We started with, with just athletes because, you know, it was, uh, a lot of sports teams will do whatever it takes to win. Yeah. So they don't really care, mm -hmm. you know, what sort of security exists or research is out there, right? So that's where we started. Um, but a lot of our work now is in the military and in healthcare. And a lot of the work in healthcare is around um, the elderly and fall risk. 
Yeah, exactly. um, because it is such a big inflection point in our lives. You know, a good way to think about movement is it's some of the bigger milestones in our life, right? When you learn to walk, you know, you're starting to move, yeah. right, as a child. And then when you fall and are unable to walk, right, that's another big inflection point, mm -hmm. right? So how do we actually delay or hopefully even prevent some of those, um, you know, consequences? And so essentially you do it the same way. So you have somebody who's 70 who hasn't fallen yet, but has a risk of falling and they're on a blood thinner. So if they fall, they could get a head bleed, like all this stuff. Right. And so can you kind of walk us through, um, how, what that would look like through, you know, through your company? Yeah. So we have a, a progressive, um, balance scan. And so every individual starts on two feet. Um, and balances on two feet for 10, 20 seconds. And if that is done well, then they progress to more advanced versions, standing on one leg. So in an elderly case, they may just stay at that two leg balance, you know, assessment. And from that, they'll be able to look at, okay, how much are you swaying left to right or heel to toe? What's the magnitude of that sway? And if you do sway, how well can you correct back to that center position. Yeah. You know, because there's the beauty of balance is it's a musculoskeletal issue when we talk about frailty, right? But it's also a neurological issue, right? We think about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and these things that yeah. are more top-down driven. So balance really can account for both of those, your ability to hold a position, but also your ability to correct if you do get off balance. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. Like, I don't think I've ever before talking to you have like heard of something. It's so innovative. And then being able to use like what you were saying, like AI to be able to like pinpoint this is somebody, you know, you have a patient who comes in Alzheimer's, obviously all these things are going up and there's a lot of people who are, care, you know, caretakers of, you know, their parents and stuff now because people are living longer and wanting to prevent all these things and the hip fracture. Cause as you know, you know, in ortho, those, you know, once they break a hip, it's almost like people never recover, especially Absolutely. as they get older. And yeah. so I could see this being, you know, someone coming in and saying, Oh, hi, my mom is, you know, 78. She has Alzheimer Alzheimer's, but she wants to stay active. I want to make sure she gets her walking and all this stuff. What can we do to prevent this? And then being able to say, okay, get on the scale, but then comparing it to other classes of people who are in that age group who also have Alzheimer's potentially is based on kind of what your system can do and saying, this is kind of some of the things that we come up with. Is that kind of the way it works? That's right. That's right. In what the actual readout, we call a movement panel, like a blood panel. Yeah. So there's a hundred metrics and each of those metrics can be associated with a different you know, condition, right? Whether that's like an Alzheimer's, uh, you know, movement disorder. Or Diabetes with like neuropathy. Exactly. Or yeah. a small risk, right? Just like blood, like if you testing for diabetes or cancer, right? The test is the same. It's the metrics that are different. Yeah, correct. So yeah. very similar here. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. And so uh, I'm still like, shocked how you just decided you know that this was going to be a better you know a better route for you to go I'm blown away I think that's that's I think it's great I think the technology is great where do you see 
kind of expanding into? I know you said you started with athletes and you guys probably still do athletes. And then you went into the military and healthcare. I'm curious what you guys do um, with the military and then what you plan on doing with this for the future. I feel like there's so many benefits for this. Yeah, that's, I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's kind of a blessing and a curse that movement has such wide applications. So it requires like both, it requires a very focused kind of sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And that we started, you know, really focused on just musculoskeletal injuries, yeah. primarily athletes. Um, and then as we moved into the military, we started getting exposed to neurological issues. There's blast traumas and TBIs. Oh, and wow. Like yeah. And then, then that's where kind of falls come in with the elderly is falls are kind of a hybrid of musculoskeletal and neurological it could be either or interplay of both and really kind of seeing us grow to include just pure neurological issues as well you know early markers for parkinson's ms yeah things where movement can actually be a very strong leading indicator yeah wow yeah i can see that i can see how that would work and then i guess what do you guys do it's almost like um, to correct some of these, I mean, or to like a, per, like a prescription to, do you give like a list of exercises? Do you say, go see a chiropractor? Do you, you know, like once they have all this data, then what, I guess is my question. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of the future because there's so many ways to address, you know, um, any sort of movement dysfunction. It can be anything from sleeping more to, yeah. you know, doing less of a certain exercise and more of another. So the more we data that we can integrate into our platform, um, the more we can start to section off, you know, how valuable certain interventions are, because ultimately the biggest limiting factor for all of us is time, right? We don't have time to be like, well, whether you have a family or you're an athlete or grandkids, whatever, you don't have time to say, well, I got six hours to exercise today. What am I going to do with that six hours? Yeah, yeah. I usually have six minutes, right? So like, it's how do you rack and stack, right? The interventions, right? Of what's going to be most impactful for you. Yeah. That's the kind of the future over time um, to be able to recommend those interventions in a priority for the individual based on those continued assessments. Got it. And you, so you guys don't have that ability yet, but that's like, what's going to be most important. Like, for example, when I do like a weight loss patient in my head, I'm thinking of some like unhealthy habits that they need to change. And having seen a million weight loss patients, like I know, like this is probably going to be the one that affects the most this, this, and then I offer, okay, these are your unhealthy habits. The ones that I think is going to impact your weight the most is a one and two, you know? Yeah. And so are you saying you guys have that ability or that may be like in a future, you know, cause I'm sure people would want to know, especially in the athletic world. Like if I am, you know, doing this or that a little wrong, like how can I jump higher? How can I run faster? How can I fit, you know, what are some, these tweaks that's going to be a priority that can I start working on now that'll help this goal or whatever. Yeah. We, we have that now in the sports musculoskeletal side. But I think, you know, to your question on the future, I think as we gather more patients and conditions, right, then we can start snowballing beyond just, okay, here's how to help reduce ACL. 
in order to like, okay, here's how to delay Parkinsonism and here's how to yeah, other issues, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, it's 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 more, you know, how much data we can gather will then dictate the speed and the breadth of that yeah. snowball to other, you know, diagnoses, right? Yeah, the, I agree. I can see that. And then I have like almost like a selfish question. Like, so my set, like one of my sons is playing baseball and they're pitching and all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm always concerned because I see this a lot about their elbow and their shoulder, you know, heard these horror stories if they over pitch, how they get these injuries, right? And so I'm curious if your technology is able to kind of dictate something in that situation, like based on his age, based on his weight, because some kids are, kids are different size. Um, we would recommend he throw no more than X amount of pitches or whatever to avoid these injuries. Is, is it possible for it to do something like that? Yeah, I think the, we, we've, we have uh, about 30, about 32 peer reviewed publications. One of our first was on elbows and pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. And what we found through ML is that a jump on a, on our device actually was able to identify elbow injury risk by jumping. Really? And it's a good example of machine learning because individuals that didn't load their jump initially well were the ones at risk for elbow. And the reason, you know, we would surmise is that when you're pitching, if you don't load with your legs before you throw, you're putting a lot more stress on your upper body because you're not using your legs. Yeah. And as it relates to pitching, it makes sense because baseball players spend a lot of time working on their rotator cuff, which as you know, is like about the size of your pinky. Yeah. You know, yeah. these muscles are tiny and we spend all this time working on those, yet we forget about this giant load bearing joint called the hip. Yeah. And we forget that there's a pitching rubber for a reason. Yeah. So you push and use your legs, but instead, you know, baseball focuses on these small muscles that are the last point of the chain rather than the first point of the chain. Yeah. Right. In the same way with falls, people talk about upper body, you know, the upper body, you just fall on it. And that's how you break your shoulder when you fall. But yeah. it's really your lower body unsteadiness that causes that upper body injury. Yeah. Right. So when you look at movements, whether it's a baseball player or a senior, it's looking at that kinetic chain and how and addressing it, you know, bottoms up. Um, yeah. And that's really, I think, the most impact we've seen with both sports, but also in the geriatric population yeah I can imagine that's so cool <laughs> I can yeah. imagine that makes a lot of sense and honestly I don't know if people would know this so I guess where where are you guys are you guys kind of all over like I feel like that it would be so much was so beneficial in maybe schools you know what I'm saying like high schools to colleges you know what I'm saying so I don't know so I'm yeah just, yeah <laughs> yeah so we you know, we, we work with probably about 100 um, college professional teams right now. Okay. Started and, and quite a bit of on the uh, military side, um, everything from special forces to the National Guard. Yeah. And then the health systems, it's, it's a range from PT clinics. Yeah, that makes to sense. To more health systems with like inpatient falls and things of that nature. Um, yeah. And so that it's, it's, it's growing in size and application. Um, most of the focus now is, is really continuing to build out the healthcare side because that's the one where we had to develop enough 
um, evidence and clinical research behind before, you know, really approaching that space. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, all doctors, we want data. Where's the data? Where's the data? Right, right. All these peer reviewed studies now. So you guys should be good to go. Right. Well, I think this is so awesome. I think this is very cool. Thank you so much for becoming on the show and, and, and yeah. introducing me to this and letting us know all about it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah.